Hello, and welcome to the So She Travels podcast. I'm your host, Vicky, from the travel blog, VickiFlipFlopTravels.com. I'm here to chat with today's most vibrant female travellers about the why, where and how of their travels. We're here to inspire you to see our world, to discuss the issues us women face travelling, and to talk about a few of the more interesting ways you can do it. Each week we'll pick a destination, a topic or two, and discuss. Don't forget to press subscribe, and if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating and a review. Today's guest is the one and only Karen Sargent, half of the awesome team that make up the responsible travel blog, Global Help Swap. I wanted to get Karen on to talk about travelling in a couple. I feel that when female travel is discussed, it's usually around solo female travel, but we're travelling in couples too, and that brings its own highs and lows. Many years and lifetimes ago, I went travelling through Europe for five months with my ex-boyfriend. It was wonderful. There's just something about setting off into the world together. If you can, travelling as a couple is such a special thing to do, whatever your age. Karen and her husband, Paul, have been travelling together for over 10 years now. I've been lucky enough to go to a few festivals with them and to meet up with them in Thailand too. They're just so much fun. So if I was going to listen to anyone about how to make it work while travelling, it would be them. Also, Karen and Paul's blog is well known for being one of the most eco-friendly around. They've even written a guide to volunteering for anyone wanting to venture into the field. So with me in Portsmouth and Karen in London, get yourself a brew and enjoy our chat. Hi Karen. Hi Vicky. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Enjoying the sunshine in my living room right now. Nice, nice. Um, thanks for taking the time to join me on the podcast. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> uh, so I know you as a champion of responsible travel, an excellent wine buddy and a great festival friend. But how would you describe yourself to the Sochi Travels listeners? Oh, well, <laughs> start with the easy questions, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> so I guess... I would describe myself as just someone who is passionate about travel and believes that travel can be one of life's biggest teachers. And I always love to learn about how I can travel without harming anyone or exploiting anyone or having a negative impact. And, you know, it's been a journey for me because I wasn't always very aware when I was traveling. Um, And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing ideas on responsible travel now so um on your blog globalhelpswap.com you say that you had a big decision to make around 10 years ago um and you could either use the money you'd made on a house sale to buy another one or go traveling so how did that go what did you choose (laughs) well it's very easy uh my uh my then boyfriend who was now my husband uh at the time (laughs) We, we, you know, we were really getting on. It's, we'd been together for about a year and we had this money and we knew we'd be together. And at the time, I wasn't very happy in my job. I was very stressed out. I kind of was wondering a little bit, is this it? Is this what all there is to life? And so when we had the spot, we were like, it would be silly to spend it on a house right now. And so we decided to go traveling with it instead. What made you choose the travel over security? Um, I think, you know, I'd been to a few countries, uh, you know, like Thailand and South Africa before this. And I had a real big 
penchant, I guess, for, for travel. I really wanted to go and explore. And I just never had the money uh, or the guts, actually, to leave everything behind. Uh, but it, it just, the, the, the time felt right. You know, it was great that I was with Paul so we could share the experience together. Uh, it was a time where I was not particularly satisfied with my life in London. And so it just felt, it felt right to me. So most of your travels have been with your now husband, Paul. What is that like to travel in a couple? I guess it might be hard to remember what it was like before. I don't yeah. know. Well, I do remember I've, I travelled bef- uh, on my own before. And I, you know, I, I think there's something really amazing to travel on your own. It really pushes you out of your comfort zone. And it really forces you to interact with people and get to know people. And I highly recommend it. But one of the things that I used to struggle with when I traveled on my own is that, you know, you're you're experiencing something really beautiful uh, and you have no one to share it with. Mm. And that's the bit that I used to really miss or crave to be watching a sunset and to turn to someone and go, isn't this amazing? How mm. beautiful is this? Or how lucky are we? And so that's the my favorite bit about travel is that now with, with traveling with Paul is that I get to share it with someone I love. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that made me come home from a life of travel. It just, mm. you know, even sharing those beautiful moments with strangers isn't a special, is it? It doesn't go down as a memory together and it isn't an experience shared with a special person it's just I agree. there at the time <laughs> so yeah it's nice that you two have you must have so many shared memories and shared stories from oh yes years of travel yeah yeah and it, you know it's so nice sometimes I don't know we'll see a program on tv about a particular country that we've been to and we'll just sit here reminiscing about what we did in that country or laughing about a story or a misadventure that we had yeah that's so nice I think that's um I guess one of the reasons I set up my blog as well like to share well kept mm-hmm. up with my blog to share adventures because obviously you two can have that conversation but if I I've got no one to talk about the three years of travel with mm-hmm. yeah that's really nice that's so nice so do you have any tips for anyone traveling in a couple or that they're gonna start traveling in a couple oh yes lots of them actually <laughs> So the thing is this, is that, you know, travel can be quite stressful and it puts you in a situation, in situations that sometimes really challenge you and don't necessarily bring out the best in you. And I guess, first of all, being aware of that and being prepared for that is important so so that you can talk about it and you can talk uh, how to best deal with each other. So, for example, I know I'm a pretty impatient person. And so, um, you know, having that conversation with Paul that I'm pretty impatient and how to deal with me before I actually got impatient was pretty useful. Um, The other thing is that, you know, sometimes it's useful to just take time for yourself. So, you know, we sp- uh, on our long trip, we spent 18 months together, day in, day out. And sometimes, you know, I'd want to do things that Paul wasn't necessarily interested in or vice versa. So just being happy to take a day and do stuff on your own and then come back and meet later on is OK. And I think it's important uh, to give each other that space. But the the secret, I guess, to a happy uh, a happy relationship when you're traveling is rock, paper, scissors. If you just can't decide, 
play rock, paper, scissors, and the winner gets their way. And believe you me, it's saved so many arguments and uh, <laughs> just oh, that's such a good to- idea. <laughs> Honestly, we we still do it to this day. It started uh, eight years ago now, and it's still mostly the way we settle arguments and decisions. Yeah, that's such a good <laughs> idea, because sometimes like me and my boyfriend can't even decide between things and don't necessarily even know what we want to do. But if you assign yeah. uh, a thing to each person, then yeah, you play rock, paper, scissors and battle it out. That's a good idea. I'm going to take that. I like it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also so when you travel as a couple how do you avoid isolating yourself like I assume it's quite easy just to talk to each other and not well you don't have that desperate need for human connection to talk to someone else right so how do you avoid that yeah I agree I think the easiest way is I always find that if we do a day tour or we go somewhere um, where there are other people we end up chatting with them and then we end up hanging out so being in a place that forces you to say hi to others uh, is important. So, for example, we, we were just in Colombia and because now we're slightly older, we don't stay in as many hostels as we used to. Right. And, I, you know, one of the things I, I wanted us to do was to actually book rooms and hostels, I mean, private rooms, so that we'd have the opportunity to meet other travellers. And to me, that really helps. And I guess, you know, often what what I find is that if you're hanging out in a hostel or a small B&B where there's another couple, you can make plans to do stuff together uh, the next day. And that's how you kind of build a relationship. So you do have to be a bit more mindful. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's still very possible to just connect with others. Yeah, I guess you two are both so outgoing and more chapter. I was just going to say that, yeah, kind of both of us love people. We love talking to people. So it comes pretty naturally as well for us. Yeah, that's good. So um, I was reading an article last night about why traveling as a couple is great. And I wanted to put some of these to you and see if you agreed. Okay, cool. Okay, number one, you... Um, you can understand and adjust to each other's limitations. It says, travel is revealing, not only to the outer world, but also to each other. You can discover each other's strengths and weaknesses and find out how to complement each other on these. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And you know what? It's so interesting, kind of when you know each other really well, you you know when you can sit back and let the other person take charge so when we started traveling Paul and I kind of there was this battle of wills because both of us wanted to be in charge so for example I'd insist on uh, reading a map and directing us to a place turns Mm. out that Paul is much better at map reading than I am and so nowadays instead of you know both of us trying to take charge I know you know what you're much better at this you do that whereas I am much better at finding the good restaurants the hidden places and so that's my job now so yeah absolutely and yeah, that's it, it nice having each time. other in that way because one of the things that's quite well I guess the pressure of traveling solo is that everything is down to you you're responsible for everything but yeah. then also you don't have to rely on other people which I quite like but then it's not a very sociable fulfilling way of living it's nice to have someone to share the load with I guess 
absolutely and you know it's so hard to make all the decisions um uh, yourself so just sometimes just asking the other person what do you fancy and letting them make the decisions is quite nice yeah okay number two you share a common goal and purpose to see the world together the anticipation and yearning of unraveling destinations committing yourself to an endless adventure somehow bonds couples and offers them a reason to always want to be together yeah you know what absolutely so I find so whenever Paul and I travel together whether it's you know for a long time or even just a long weekend it it just brings us back together we re re rebond almost and I think it's because there's this as a as the article said, there's this common goal. So both of us are exploring together and it feels really exciting. And I always find that there's just this extra connection whenever we're traveling, which is lovely. Oh, that's so nice. I think a lot of couples just through life and what's happened in life, you sort of, you're only ever in a few situations. So you're only ever like in the house or down the pub or at your mum's or whatever. But when you're traveling, you come across so many different um situations and experiences that you learn about each other in those experiences don't you which must mean that you learn more because you learn about each other as more of a multi-dimensional person rather than just someone that you have dinner with oh absolutely. You go to bed with or whatever there's all these other experiences I agree I, I think you know when when Paul and I did our long-term trip especially I got a chance to see him in really tough situations and see Paul, you know Paul pretty well yeah. and to see him for example when I was getting really angry at someone because they were trying to cheat us or whatever you know seeing him being really patient and remaining calm and staying kind just made me realize what amazing qualities he has and it, and how you know how he had the right things almost that I was looking for in uh in my relationship and that's that's amazing you know to see your partner dealing with stuff that you don't know how to deal with um so skillfully and so yeah so humanly I guess yeah, that's so nice. I guess that leads on to this next point, actually. Number three, it reveals who they are to each other. Since you are together most of the time, there is little space for keeping ugly secrets. <laughs> there are no facades and you have to appreciate your partner the way he or she is. Whether he snores, has his yeah. underarm hair unshaved, or she has her legs unshaved. Oh my God, how terrible. <laughs> Travelling reveals a bunch of ugly truths. And with this, there is little or nothing to hide. Yeah. What do you think of that? Uh, yeah totally the romance I guess is very quickly <laughs> killed when I still remember I think our third trip together was in Marrakesh where the the room we were staying in we were staying in a Riyadh and the bathroom didn't wasn't even a room it had just half a wall oh, lovely. yeah so <laughs> you know imagine that stuff and and I guess in a way it's very uncomfortable in the beginning, but over the years, I mean, we've been together for 10 years now, yeah. it just makes you feel super comfortable to be totally yourself. So, you know, Paul knows the real me and he got to know the real me pretty quickly. And I guess, you know, it's it's good to to do that as quickly as possible because that's when you know whether this is the right person for you or not. Yeah, traveling with someone, you just get to know so much about them, <laughs> don't you? I think it can totally like make or break. And yeah, yeah, things you didn't even want to know about their toilet habits and all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's important. 
Um, number four, they are more forgiving. Travelling together offers room for mistakes to be made and flaws to be revealed. However, there are challenges all along the way and couples who travel together understand the need for forgiving each other quickly and moving on. That's a nice one. You can't really stay mad at someone for a whole day when you're travelling, can you? No. Or can you? <laughs> No, you can because you have to communicate and make decisions. So it's 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 hard, you know, to just sulk and not speak and not um, make friends quickly. And I I know, you know, sometimes like <laughs> I'm just thinking uh, when we were in Colombia just this last month, there was one night where so we were getting the bus to our uh, to our accommodation, and Paul um, just called the bus to stop about half an hour walk too early so we had to get off the bus and then we realized we're stuck in the middle of nowhere in this Um, dark road and I was pretty bad at him yeah but then again you know I'm walking down a dark road I I can't exactly storm off so the situation just forced us to still walk together and you know within 10 minutes we, we were just fine again yeah yeah that's a good example actually it just for- forces you to work things out, doesn't it? Because you can't, exactly. as you say, you can't storm off from that situation. <laughs> exactly. So we had to talk and see how we were going to get back home safely. Okay, number five on why couples tra- should travel together. Their sense of humour is built together. You can't travel together without without turning up some humour here and there. There are times when things just go horribly wrong and you have to laugh over it, I guess, like that. It could be the horrible food you just bought on the street corner, having your hotel room mixed up or losing a map. Something goes wrong and it's enough to have something to laugh at and sustain your happiness along the way. Do you agree with that one? Yeah, and I think it gives you a a sense of solidarity. Like I remember one time, uh, again in Colombia, we had to, uh, we went to this, you can take a cable car to go up to see the view in Bogota. And um, we went on a Sunday, which was a massive mistake because it turns out half of Bogota goes up this mountain on a Sunday. So we queued for three hours to go up and then we had to queue for another three hours to go down. And so we're there kind of, it it was such a boring, tiring uh, thing to have to do. But we just had to entertain each other and laugh at the situation rather than anything. I mean, that's what made it pass. Yeah, that's nice. Like, I guess if you were at home in your house and you had to kill three hours, you might get the TV on or something like that. But when you're traveling, you spend so much time together with not other entertainment that you've only got each other for entertainment so I guess yeah another way that you get to know each other more and know more about each other and know that you can entertain each other for that long it's nice yeah absolutely and it's so weird kind of with Netflix nowadays you can really still watch TV when you're traveling but I find that when we are when we're away when we're traveling the need to watch TV just goes away we never watch any any TV when we're away uh, because you know there's so much else that you can do yeah yeah nice so you agree with all those five points then it's important to travel oh yeah it's a great a... article <laughs> um so I have hung out with you guys quite a lot I have been to Costa Rica with Paul and then we've been to two festivals now I think yep yep and lots of boozy nights out in London so I know you as a couple and individually Mm -hmm. and I think yeah one of the things that is great that I know of about you as a couple is that you are so strong together but then also strong apart you've both got your own things going on 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's obviously important in a relationship. Can you tell us more about your your projects and your work mm. away from being in a couple? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, my biggest passion, as, as you know, is, is working with women. So I love, um, as a psychologist, I'm a psychologist first, I guess, and a travel blogger second. And, and so all my projects are around building my own business with the intention of helping women uh, succeed um, in a way that also makes them happy, that allows them to have a life, that makes them feel good. And so that's the thing that I get always really excited uh, talking about um, when I'm not traveling or thinking about traveling. So you've got your sisterhood project at the moment. What's what's that entail? What's that about? Yeah, so the sisterhood project is just a, a, a group where women get together and there is an opportunity, you know, to ask each other questions or to do stuff together. So in February, for example, I started this challenge uh, where it was all about starting the day in a really good way. So um, getting everyone to meditate for five minutes, to hydrate, drink water, to appreciate something that uh, was going on in their life and to appreciate a quality in themselves, to plan uh, the the most important thing to do in the day and to exercise. And it was so interesting. I was chatting to someone who did it the other day and she was saying how, you know, just knowing that there were other people doing this challenge together uh, and being forced to to think about the good stuff in her life just really helped elevate her mood. And it made me so happy to hear that. So that's the stuff uh, that's just, I don't know, I, I think is really important and makes me happy. Yeah, sometimes people just need a bit of a push, don't they, to, I guess, assess what they're doing and mindfully do what they're doing and realise how they feel when they're doing it. Yeah, I think... I agree. I think, you know, often we know what we should be doing, um, but we just don't do it because we're playing out old habits. And just having a community that encourages you or having a coach that encourages you to to really think about, you know, what are the things that you should be doing that can help you feel good and energized and focused and all of that um, and being reminded to do them will make mm-hmm. all the difference. So how do you bring all that into your travels? Do you do that when you're traveling? So when I'm tra- traveling, I'm often either planning or creating courses or just really be- being in the in the ideation phase, I guess, really thinking of what else can I do? Um, if, if there is good Wi-Fi connection, I'll still coach sometimes or I'll still post on Facebook, um, you know, to my group um so yeah I think travel in a way helps create the space for me to think and to be creative yeah um so how did you manage to build your job around your travel because you and Paul take six weeks off every year right to go to a destination how did you how did you manage to do that yeah so (laughs) uh both because I freelance uh, it's very easy for me to you know, to tell the companies that give me work, look, I'm not available between mid-December and mid-March. Right. And I, t- I do take winter off. It's, it's always been this big dream of mine to be able to do that. So it's nice that I've been able to do it for the past seven years. Uh, and I think it's because I chose to be a freelancer and a business owner uh, doing a job that I can take traveling with me. That, that helps me. 
Right. Okay. So that was that was always a dream of yours to create oh, your yeah. life like this. Then that you could oh, do what you wanted. Absolutely. It's been my uh, it's been my uh, dream since I moved to London. I moved to London uh, seventeen years ago now. Right. And coming from Malta, where there's 300 days of sunshine, I really never coped well with the winter. And no, even when I was, oh, yeah, I found it, <laughs> I still find it hard, actually. Um, and so even when I was employed, I'd save up all my leave and always take February off and go somewhere warm. And then after I became self-employed, then it was easier to take a longer time. Um, yeah. So how did you how did you manage to become self-employed? You just kept steering that way as a psychologist, right? Mm. So, uh, I, you know, I think traveling gave me the courage. So before traveling, I always knew I wanted to be self-employed and I wanted to freelance. But I was always scared, you know, what if I don't get enough uh, work? What if I don't have enough money? And then funnily enough, after uh, we traveled for 18 months, we came back to London. Paul didn't have a job. He was starting his travel blog. Um, and at the time, he was the only one working on it. And, you know, we had no savings. And yet, somehow, I found it easy to just go, do you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try and freelance and see what happens. And I had plan B and plan C. You know, I was going to sell artwork uh, in a market if if my psychology training didn't take off wow that would be a different Uh, life for you right now wouldn't it (laughs) especially since I'm not an artist yeah I was just thinking I I didn't know Karen was an artist (laughs) I thought I'd missed it obviously you were just going to find some art somewhere and sell it love it you know it's so funny I I even had I knew what I was going to sell and it was going to be this London um, skyline that I would get printed on bags and on, uh, you know, as as frames, I guess, and sell those. So it was one picture on different things. And I had the picture down. made. Okay. I even paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it never, I never needed <laughs> to try to make that work. But it's nice that you've got that as a backup. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um. When I saw you in Thailand once, you'd ran away from a silence retreat. (laughs) Can you tell us that story? Because I really like it. So uh, I I still remember the first time I heard about Vipassana was from this guy who we met on another trip to Thailand who um, was talking about his experience. And I remember him saying, you know, you go to this place for a week and you don't speak. It's a week of silence. And at the time I thought geez you must you know that's impossible I could never do that but anyways I became curious about it and I started reading about it and at the time I was also um exploring meditation right so I I meditated on and off for a little bit and I became more and more curious about this uh week's retreat silent retreat so anyways I uh I read that there was this vipassana retreat in uh, Swan Mok, which is uh, south of Thailand, and that the place was really beautiful, and they had hot springs, and you did yoga as well, and it sounded idyllic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I decided I'm just gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna try, and so I went there, and I managed to stick it to stick to it for seven nights. I think t- in total it was about nine nights. Right. Okay. Uh, 
by the time I arrived and I, um, I, I arrived the day before. So uh, that's why I had already been silent for an extra couple of days. And every day, literally, you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and you're living in this concrete cell uh, with a concrete bed and a wooden pillow. What happened to the paradise <laughs> idyllic location? <laughs> you just went to prison instead. <laughs> literally the gardens were lovely but the rooms were awful they were literally cells and every night as you're trying to fall asleep you always heard a girl or two screaming because there were centipedes in the room and massive oh, spiders <laughs> so yeah that that wasn't that much fun um and then you'd wake up at four o'clock and you would do some yoga for an hour and then literally you'd meditate all day. I think you had an hour to do your uh, chores. So I, I had to rake the leaves, which turned out to be lovely. <laughs> it was the only time you were, you know, I I was occupied doing something. And believe yeah. me, you kind so that of... So that was the highlight of your day when you got to rake the leaves for an hour. Raking the leaves was the <laughs> big highlight of my day. No, the biggest highlight was the six o'clock uh, call for hot chocolate. So at six o'clock, you could go and have a hot chocolate. And that was the real highlight. And then raking the leaves was the second. But yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I did it for seven, seven days. And on the on the eighth day, I remember waking up and I just couldn't, I just couldn't face doing doing it anymore. And I, it's almost like my legs marched me to their offices. <laughs> And my mouth just opened and started talking on its own. And I'm like, I have to leave. I have to leave now. I have to leave now. And I, they gave me back my stuff. And they literally got a taxi to the airport. Oh, my God. They took your stuff off you? <laughs> yeah. you Because basically, you can't have a phone. You can't have a, a, you know, any technology, of course. Not even a, a journal to write on. Nothing. I'm not into that. Well, it's so hard. It's it's really hard. And so, um, what were you meant to were you meant to reach enlightenment, or what? What was the point of it? So the point is, I guess there's there's the saying which I absolutely love, which is the mind is a, a good servant but a terrible master. Right. In in that week, what you it's almost like you break down your mind that you, your mind becomes your servant rather than your master, because for seven days you are just focusing on your breath and all of that. And I have to say, looking back at it, it was so helpful for me. It really. Oh, that's good. Yeah, even though I you know I didn't finish it, I left two days before. But to this day, I, it stayed with me. And now I meditate every day. Um, and it's just, helped, it's just helped me be a little bit more aware of my thinking and a little bit more able to manage my thinking, which is so important. So it was worth it then for future mind happiness? Absolutely, 100%. And I would do it again, actually. I would go again maybe somewhere a little bit more comfortable um yeah and just for a week nine days sounds like it was the yeah, too much yeah just a little bit. and I wish I hadn't run away now because I think I uh I think you know the the day that I decided to leave was because it, it was going to be a tough day but having have if I had managed to go beyond that day I think I would have maybe even gotten even more out of it yeah, maybe those last final days, like the real push when it's really hard, 
um, that's when you have the breakthrough, I guess. I yeah. But I, you did you did well. Seven days. That's a long time. Yeah. But I, I do see what you're saying. Like just to know that you saw it through would have been nice, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, and to be able to celebrate, you know. But hey ho, next time. You did, you did what was right at the time. Exactly. That's and true. as long as I got something out of it, that's the the thing that I'm pleased about. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm also more impressed that you ran away. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I loved it. Um, so the whole ethos of your blog is based around responsible travel. Uh-huh. What does responsible travel mean to you? So uh, for me, it means traveling in a way that doesn't harm anyone or doesn't exploit anyone or any animal or the environment around you. It's as simple as that, really. So how can we do that? Because I feel like with travel, I mean, as soon as you've booked your plane ticket, the carbon emissions are not good for the planet. No, they're not. And I guess uh, what we try to do is offset that that flight by using public transport when we are traveling. Um, And I think also, I mean, yes, you are. For me, there's this idea of balance with everything in life. It's about balance. So, yes, you know, you are getting on a plane and that's not exactly helpful for the environment. But then you're also supporting so many businesses. Um, You're also the the means for a lot of people to make a living. So you are making um, a contribution in another way. Um, and it's for me, it's much more about then thinking about where you are uh, traveling to and being careful about some of the stuff uh, that sometimes you don't even think about. So, for example, if you're going to a hot country and you're using sunblock, making sure that your sunblock doesn't affect the reefs, for example, mm. use, trying to avoid single use plastic. So having a refillable water bottle or even having um, uh, uh, a water purifier uh, or a, um, a UV pen, a UV light to to f- purify your water. So things like that, so that at least you are not over consuming. Mm, yeah. Yeah, because travel, well, I guess it depends on the kind of travel you do. Obviously, all-inclusive travel and cruise travel has a bit of a bad reputation well yeah. a lot of a bad reputation for the environment but you guys travel how do you how would you describe the way that you two travel yeah. so we travel independently and uh so and what we try and do is if we are in a country we'll look at staying in places that are owned locally rather than chains um we try to eat in uh, in places again where you know there's a family running the restaurant and so you know that your money is having a direct positive impact on uh on uh you know the people living there yeah yeah that's a good idea i read something once that said every pound you spend is a vote for how you want to how you want your world to be and that really like stuck with me so i try not to stay in yeah, any sort of chain or anything that's owned by big corporations or anything like that, because your money is just lining someone's pocket. Whereas if you stay in a locally run place or, as you say, eat at a locally run, family run restaurant mm. and your money actually means something, you'll probably get better service and nicer food as well. So I just I agree with that way of traveling. Travel locally. What's the point of going somewhere and then eating at McDonald's? Exactly. You know what, you know what it tastes like. <laughs> 
yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's so much more that you can learn as well. Like I remember one time we were uh, traveling in, in Burma. This is years ago. And we were trying to find a, a restaurant. And this guy on a bike just uh, stopped. And he's like, can I help you? And we said, we're looking for a restaurant. He's like, why don't you come and eat at my house? Oh, God. Wow. Yeah. And he said, give me an hour and uh, come and he gave, he told us where to go. So an hour later, we went to his house. Turns out that this house was just one room where he lived with his wife, his parents and his two kids. Wow. And they cooked us a feast. Literally, they they made so many amazing dishes. And he was a local artist. And my goodness, you know, we... we we bought his artwork afterwards uh, and we supported that, you know, six people. Yeah. Just through choosing to say yes to the stranger who wanted us to go and eat at his house. It was one of the best meals, actually, we had there as well. So, Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like that's the kind of uh, travel experience that I wouldn't have traveling solo as a woman because woman, there's no way I'd... There's no way yeah. I'd suggest to that personally. I'm not saying all solo women shouldn't, but I would be too nervous to do that unless I was with someone else I agree I you're right and I think it does help us say yes to a lot more things I mean Paul and I our philosophy is very much about trusting rather yeah. until we're, we're proven wrong basically and we've never regretted it I think we've we've been um done once in our whole 10 years of travel of saying yes to anyone and every invitation so that's wow. not bad going. Yeah. That's cool. That's amazing. Um, so your um, focus on responsible travel and your dedication to responsible tourism, is that why you started your blog? <coughs> um, we, no, we started our blog. Like you, we were traveling, we wanted to share our travels with our family and our friends. And then we discovered this passion for it. And then the more we traveled and the more we learned, the more we realized, you know what? Some people don't even realize that they're harming, uh, doing more harm than good through their travels. And we wanted to just make people a little bit more mindful. So, yeah. for example, you know, if you're going to Thailand and you want to ride an elephant, you chances are you don't know the suffering that that elephant has gone through so that you can ride it. And so we just wanted to make people aware or, you know, we realized that we we want we liked to volunteer when we were traveling. But we realized, for example, that if you volunteer in an orphanage, uh, chances are the kids that you're there with aren't even orphans. Because yeah, I believe that when I found that out. It's so it, sad. It's crazy. And so these poor kids are being exploited, you know, so that's rich westerners go pay lots of money to feel good about themselves but actually it's just creating the cycle of um uh, kids living away from their parents and being exploited and people don't necessarily know this no. so that's why we decided to start focusing on responsible travel because we wanted everyone to just learn a little bit more to become a little bit more aware of the impact of their actions yeah, I think sites like yours are just so important. And I think um, to travel responsibly is just so important now as well. I remember when I was younger, I think I must have been about 18. 
So I should be old enough to know better, but I just hadn't traveled much and I didn't really know people that had. But my brother Mm -hmm. came back from Thailand and had a photo of him riding an elephant. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, that is the coolest thing ever. And it became my wish to ride an elephant because I just thought it looked amazing. And I think I didn't I never actually did it. But I think about five, it was probably still another five years later that I found out, oh, you're not actually supposed to ride those elephants. It's not a nice idea. They've had horrible lives. I had no idea. I didn't even think. I think you just do these activities that you've seen other travellers do and maybe don't think about it, which I guess is why the whole responsible travel movement started to educate people and let them know not to swim with dolphins and ride elephants. And it all seems so obvious now, but I did not have a clue back then. I agree. Me too. Uh, the first time I went to Thailand, I rode an elephant mm. and I... I I had no idea. And in fact, it felt really good because the elephant was owned by one guy who was telling us that this was how he fed his family and all of that. So at the time, I thought I was was doing a good thing. And then it was only years later when I started reading and I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I can't believe that I actually contributed to that. And so part of this guilt was uh, was a massive motivation for me to read a little bit more and learn a little bit more and just think a bit more when I was traveling um so you know and this is what I want to do with our site is that we want to make sure that we don't make people feel judged we just want people to be a little bit more aware and that's our mission yeah even just being a bit more conscious about the decisions you make like especially with especially with animals and children basically mm-hmm. like there's a lot of things like say begging on the streets with children it's not always a good idea to give them money it encourages them to leave school and to pester other tourists which means that tourists won't go and yeah it's, it's, it's there's a lot of dodgy things that you might think you're doing good like you might think you're supporting the animals you might think you're supporting the family and the children but actually you're making the situation a lot lot worse and a whole tourism is being built up around yeah beggars the fact there's even a phrase orphanage tourism is awful isn't it exactly yeah Uh, And I remember when we started, so we promote a lot of free volunteering opportunities on on Global Headswap on our site. And when we started doing this, we used to promote um, either teaching kids or orphanages until we started looking more into it. And I remember we went to a talk around responsible travel and they brought this up and we were shocked that you know we might be contributing to this so the next day we removed anything to do with children Mm. um off our site because also the other thing that we realized was if someone's a predator and they you know they want to harm children they're gonna go where there are lots of children and so if you if you're in a situation where people don't even check your background or anything like that again you you might actually be (laughs) making it easy for people to abuse kids which my goodness you know it's horrible yeah. to think about yeah children and animals are mm. vulnerable anyway aren't they and then yeah putting them at risk of horrible people that want to hurt them even more is horrific so mm-hmm. you've um created a volunteering guide haven't you that you have on the site mm-hmm. can you tell us more about that 
So the guide is like a directory which has loads of different um, opportunities all over the world. Again, that are responsible. So this, they're not money-making opportunities. These are real uh, charities or projects that require help. Because one of the things that we found when we were traveling and we wanted to volunteer was that if you go and search, I don't know, volunteering in Thailand, for example, the first couple of pages are full of um, pretend volunteer opportunities where you have to pay thousands of pounds for the privilege of volunteering. But actually, there are loads of projects who do need help um, and do need, you know, an extra pair of hands, but they don't have the the money to invest in SEO to get found on Google or anything like that. And so that's part of the reason why we started Global Help Swap was to help these charities and projects get found. And so our book is a directory of that, but it also shows you how to volunteer responsibly. So it shows you what to look out for, uh, the questions to ask, because sometimes you might take things for granted that you know won't be there. Um, I remember one time we volunteered in a place uh, where uh, he said food. They said food would be provided, but actually, it turns out that the on, there was no kitchen. The only thing that they had was a rice cooker and pumpkin, and we ended up eating rice and pumpkin every day for about a week until mm. we begged them to take us to a <laughs> to a supermarket. And I guess it's important to ask you know these questions around what's the sleeping arrangements, what are the food arrangements, how many hours should I will I be working to make sure that you have a good experience and and that you're also providing the help that the the organization needs yeah it's such a shame that there are so many scammy volunteering uh opportunities because people just want to help and they want to go and do something and help and I guess a lot of people who volunteer are like a bit younger out of school and just want to know that they'll be safe as well so they pay all this money and then sometimes the project that they're volunteering on isn't even helping the community. I was going to pay, at one point, I was going to pay, I think it was about two grand to work with this huge, huge company that loads of people go volunteering with, that I won't mm-hmm. mention, but um, mm-hmm. loads of people go volunteering with them. And yeah, it was about two and a half grand, but I was paying to go and work to look after the volunteers. And I did pay a deposit. And then I thought, this is not right. I had to buy my yeah. And pay the money to go and work for them. I was like, this is crazy. There are opportunities where, yeah, you can either pay a little bit or nothing at all and actually know that what you're doing is helping the community. And, yeah, so I totally recommend buying your guide because, as you say, there's a whole list of questions that you should be asking the project and you don't want to be working somewhere where you go and build toilets and then it gets ripped down so the next bunch come in and build another toilet. Which is generally what happens. And this is yeah. one of the things we say, you know, if the skill that you're offering is something that you, would, you wouldn't you would dream of using in your home country, then chances are it's not going to be useful in, um, you know, in another country. So if you don't know how to build, yeah, you, won't, you, you still won't be building <laughs> a good structure anywhere else, regardless no. of where you go. And one of the other problems as well, a big problem, is that you're taking what could be a paid job to the local community. You're taking that away from them. So, yeah, I just volunteering is such a good thing to do, but you need to make sure that you're doing it for the right project. So, yeah, do your research. Check out your website, I think. Exactly.
what about destinations to travel to how do you and Paul decide where to go like do you look at do you even look at the political history and stance of a country is that a thing that you consider or yeah yeah absolutely um although I have to say it's really hard right so for example I mean I mentioned Myanmar earlier uh we wouldn't go now because I you know we we think we really disagree with what's happening there and we wouldn't promote it but then again is there any country that is completely honest and good and all of that I think if you judge one country I think it's easy to judge every single other country that's what I find quite difficult and I don't really look at the political stance and history of a country Mm -hmm. because you know I mean America's not very good at the moment Germany hasn't been good in the past everywhere's got Exactly. Everywhere has got a history and, you know, England isn't, yeah. isn't good either. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't choose to travel like that. And I think it's interesting when people do. And I feel like there's certain countries that I've been to when, where people would judge me for going. But mm. I choose to not make that a consideration because otherwise I just feel like you wouldn't go anywhere and it's choosing sides. Exactly. And I think sometimes it can come across as a little hypocritical because uh, you know you might really focus on one country's flaws but actually you're ignoring the flaws of the country you're traveling to so Mm. yeah (laughs) what made you decide to go to Colombia that was your last destination right Hmm. yeah yeah. so things about Colombia uh, from other people who've been there saying it was their favorite country in South America and they loved it and they you know everything was amazing about it but also I've met a few Colombians and every single Colombian person I've met has been full of life full of passion really interesting to talk to so it made me really curious and so those two things together uh convinced us I guess to give Colombia a shot yeah I feel like anyone that's been to Colombia has just loved it I had um I was chatting with Emily Luxton the other week and she was raving about how good Colombia was as well her favorite place in South America yeah I don't blame her I we we had six amazing weeks in Colombia and I highly recommend it to anyone especially people who love the outdoors who like adventure uh, but also like cities there's a little bit for everyone in Colombia um what was your highlight one of the things that I didn't expect and I absolutely loved were the pretty villages in Colombia. So I think Colombia has the prettiest villages uh, anywhere I've seen. And they'd be these beautiful houses painted in all sorts of bright colours. Uh, they just, and, and all the, these villages that we went to just looked amazing. And there's not just one of them, there's many of them. Uh, Villa de Leyba, for example, Barichara was another one, Guatapé. Um, and of course, then you've got Cartagena, which is the most famous mm. one. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Oh, and they're just amazing to walk around and get lost in, uh, admiring the, you know, the architecture. So that was a massive surprise. And... Um, yeah, there's loads of them. So we, we spent a lot of time exploring them. And then we also did this hike in the Kokora Valley, which where there are the world's tallest palm trees. And oh, that wow. was Love one of the... <laughs> they're called wax palms, I think. Okay. And that was one of the most beautiful hikes I've ever done. 
it was a real highlight. So that's another one that I highly recommend there. Okay, sounds good. Do you speak Spanish? Well, I I spent a whole the year trying to learn. I, I downloaded an app and so I I my vocabulary is you know increased. I had I know maybe I don't know a hundred words in Spanish. Right. So I could sometimes communicate, like ask questions about directions or about the type of food or recommendations, but I'm not fluing, fluent by any shape or means. Okay. How, how does, um, what would be your most favourite place to travel to? Like, is it Colombia or where would you recommend that everyone needs to see in their awesome. lifetime? Uh, for me, it would be Nepal. So I know oh, that you I just did. Yeah. We went there last year and so you know what the thing I always look for when I travel are those wow moments where you are filled with awe and you almost get teary because something is so magical and I found that Nepal had I I experienced that at least once a week so there's so so many magical moments to be experienced in Nepal Besides the fact that, again, the people inspire me so much. Uh, we used to have amazing conversations, especially with younger people in Nepal who are so switched on, so aware about the political situation, the environment. Yeah. It, it, it was amazing. I, I think the Nepalese really inspired us to try and be better people, literally. And I don't mean this in a, in, in a flip, flippant way, but they were just so grounded and present and switched on. Yeah. Uh, and it happened everywhere. We, we went and we had conversations with people. We always found ourselves just so impressed with their way of thinking, the, the way they interacted with us. So yeah, Nepal is definitely on uh, my favorite country by a million miles. Yeah, I loved it there when I because I'd just been in India, which had just been absolutely crazy. And I really <laughs> feel I know it sounds cheesy, but I really feel like even as soon as I got to the airport, it was just like oh, it was just yeah. relaxing and nice. And the next morning, on my first morning, I'd booked this tour, which I totally regretted because I booked it at seven a.m. So I had to go Ouch. early <laughs> and yeah, going to bed late. But anyway, the tour guide was brilliant, and I loved him, and he just showed me around. Kathmandu it's like a food tour but oh, also nice. he was just telling me all about his life I wasn't expecting this it was like having breakfast with a friend he was telling me all about his life and he was a gay guy so he was telling me all about being gay in Nepal and he had his boyfriend in India and how different their lives were and I just found it absolutely wow. fascinating and he was so insightful and told me everything and I love it when people are like that because oh. I'm so nosy um <laughs> I look yeah I, and from then on I just loved all the people were so open and like had such a good level of English as well so you could have a really good chat yeah and a a deep chat as well as well yeah you talk about important stuff which I think was what kind of left us feeling so inspired by by the Nepalese yeah I loved it there and then when I went to Pakara and just I just thought if ever I need to get away and have some time to myself I think I'd go to Nepal and like do some trekking or something because I was only there for a week so I didn't really have time but um yeah I love Nepal as well Uh, I'm glad you liked it (laughs) (laughs) shows what a cool place it is so where's next 
So next, I think is going to be Portugal. I, I remember I spoke to you about this. So when I was in Colombia, we were on this lovely island in San Andres. And every day I'd sit on the beach and watch these kite surfers. And oh, yeah. kite surfing looks like so much fun. But the thing is, I tried to learn in Muine in Vietnam. And where I was trying to learn was really deep and had huge waves. And so it was too difficult and I gave up. And I never really thought that it's not kite surfing that's difficult. It's actually the conditions I was in that were difficult. So my next trip is going to be in Portugal to learn on a lagoon. That's so cool. Whereabouts in Portugal? Uh, you know what? It's an hour from Lisbon. I think it's called Obodos. I'm, I can't remember the name. But I know you land in Lisbon and it's an hour away from there. So, Oh, nice. That's so cool. Uh, and that's so cool that you're like, like it's a holiday to learn something. Yeah. A new yeah. Skill. <laughs> oh, well, let's, let's hope, right? <laughs> yeah, you can... I'm lucky because the first time didn't go so well. <laughs> well, when you've learned on the lagoon, you can come back and try in Portsmouth. Uh, we get a lot, a lot of kite surfers here because they like the wind. Oh, but it's so cold. There. <laughs> There's no way I'd want to do it here. I'll be a fair weather kite surfer, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so if listeners want to find you, where can they find you on social media? So everything is Global Help Swap. So Instagram, Twitter, um, Pinterest. That's our handle. All the things and can they join your sister sisterhood project facebook group absolutely if they are female and they have a business it would be fabulous to have them join us okay sounds good well thanks for joining me today you um, are much thank you for inviting me it's been <laughs> and i will see you somewhere soon yes hopefully hopefully glastonbury oh yeah <laughs> we'd get you tickets please <laughs> <laughs> Okay, speak to you later. Bye. All right, bye. Well, how do we feel about riding elephants now? Not cool, is it? I think it's amazing to think how far tourism has come in the last 10 years, but in terms of keeping it responsible, there's still so far to go. If it's not something you've ever really considered before, I hope Karen's words have encouraged you to look into responsible tourism a bit further. And travelling in a couple. Karen makes it sound like lovely fun, doesn't she? Could be time for me to go again. We shall see. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Sochi Travels. Please do leave a review on iTunes if you did. It means a lot to me. And feel free to drop me a message on social media at Vicky Flipflop too. Right, I'm off. Speak to you next week when I have another brilliant female traveller for you.